When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison. Theo Squires, as you can see, is sat alongside me. And Ian Doyle joins us as well. Doyle, to you first on the game with Fulham that Liverpool played midweek. Obviously, five wins in a row now for the Reds. It's a bit of a cliche, but it is that point in the season, isn't it, where only thing that matters is that Liverpool win. They managed to do that by a goal to nil against Fulham. Well, perhaps the only thing anyone's going to remember from that game is the goal. Well, I would imagine that Fulham might point to one or two missed chances from them, but otherwise for Liverpool, they got the victory. That's all they needed to do. It wasn't a great game, wasn't a particularly brilliant performance, but they've got another win and all they can do is just win their games between now and the end of the season to keep up the pressure on the, on the teams above them and kind of fend off the teams behind them. I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to a bit about what the chances are of qualifying for the Champions League. But at the moment, I don't even think, you know, Jürgen Klopp mentioned it again in his press conference today. They're not even thinking of that. It's just about winning the games. They can't control what's ahead of them, the teams ahead of them. They, they can only win what, they're, what, what they've got in front of them. And that's all they're going to have to do. <laughs> yeah, that's all that Liverpool can do is keep on winning and, and keep on in that winning run. And I suppose, Theo, even... If Liverpool were to keep on winning, there's still opportunities for other clubs as well. We've got on the agenda to talk about the, the Champions League. <laughs> to that, in terms of, obviously, the other teams, Brighton, one of them, Newcastle, Manchester United as well. What's your sort of take at this point in time? Obviously, Liverpool just have to keep doing their job. But what about the rest of the teams in this race? As it stands, Liverpool have left themselves too much to do. Like They found form at just that little bit too late in the season when they were too far off the pace. Like we'll look at Brighton's win short term. It gives Liverpool hope. United have dropped points. It means that gap's that little bit less. But mid-term, Brighton could win their game slam. They could overtake Liverpool. And then it's a bad result for them. You look at what United have got left. They've got two pretty win... Well, three, sorry, winnable home games against Wolves, Chelsea and Fulham. Away form has been pretty poor this season. But they're playing two sides who are on the beach in West Ham and Bournemouth. They only need, what, nine points to secure their top four place. You'd imagine they've got enough in the locker to do that. Newcastle, I think they're pretty much already there. But they're in form. They look confident. It's not like United, where United are dropping points away from home. Newcastle, I think they had that defeat to Aston Villa. And then they just bounced back in the most emphatic way possible, didn't they? So top four is pretty much looking done. And it is now fifth or sixth. Liverpool just got to keep picking up their points to make sure they finish above Brighton. Because you'd imagine Brighton aren't going to win every single game. That would be a big stretch for them. But it would be a remarkable season if they do. And if by the end of the month, that leaves them within that touching distance of top four in the last day, you take it. 
realistically it's going to be Europa League next year. Yeah, it's going to be tight, isn't it, Dodie, in terms of, of where each team in this race ends up. It, it, it's unlikely, isn't it, that Liverpool get into the top four. I think we're, we're all in agreement of, of that. There is a small possibility that that is still the case. I think I've, I've still got a little bit of hope when you think of Newcastle have, have still got to play Arsenal and, and Brighton. I think they're in their next two or three games. There's opportunities to drop points, but it is admittedly a slim possibility. Well, Newcastle would have to drop 10 points, or United would have to drop six, and then Brighton would have to not win all of their games. There's quite a lot of things that have to happen for Liverpool to get into that top four. I don't think, as I said before, I don't think Jurgen Klopp is particularly paying much interest to that. He's got to win the games that the that Liverpool have got to play. So, yeah, I think uh, they lost. I think they lost the top four when they got beat at Bournemouth. That was ahead of them, obviously that week where they played City, Chelsea, and Arsenal. And I mean, in, in, in some ways, the Arsenal games kind of well. They, might, they should get Europa League football. It's kind of saved the season a little bit, hasn't it? Because at half-time, no, sorry, just before half-time, Arsenal 2-0 up could have gone anywhere, couldn't it? They could have got one, four or five. And since then, Liverpool have gone up. And if you look what happened to Arsenal, they've, they've kind of gone backwards quite a lot on it. You know, they've, they've given themselves a lot to do to win the league. So that's been quite a pivotal game. Short term for Liverpool and Arsenal. But longer term for Liverpool, it's given the players a bit of a reminder of what they can do. And of course, it's ushered in this new system whereby Trent Alexander-Arnold's playing in whatever, we, what are we calling it? Come on. Inverted that's right, but it doesn't, doesn't make any sense, really. A hybrid role is what I'm going with. That, that no, that's a, that's more, a cop out. It needs a name. That it sounds a, a bit more normal. We should, we should now come up with the name for this role. What is it? Because someone's going to say the man's, the Cancelo role, but he's left. The, the Trent Alexander-Arnold role. The John there you go, yeah. Okay, the Trent role. Yeah, so there you go. He's, he, you know, some people have, you know, uh, cup finals named after them. Some people have skills named after them. He's got a position named after him. So, yeah. But what does he want? I suppose that is a, a key point, isn't it? As, as much as we, we sort of joke about that and, and a couple of other bits. I mean, for Liverpool, even if they don't get into the top four this season, if they've gone on this run, it's A, momentum for the start of next season, but also B, an opportunity to, to do this, to try out a couple of other bits. We've seen you know, Curtis Jones and, and other players come into the team a little bit more. It is still important to win all of your games and you never know it might end up with a, a higher finish than all of us probably believe at this point i think klopp said that a couple of weeks ago didn't he that they're using the, the rest of the season to like learn lessons for next season as that preparation it is this new era of liverpool next year and curtis jones is part of that he's come from almost absolutely nowhere like when you write off the midfield because he's barely played with injuries people are writing him off and he looks like well if this is the formation to go he's probably going to start 11 next season depending on who they sign even in a 4-3-3, he's done his um, chances of starting no harm at all. Like we've seen Trent completely reinvent himself in this Trent role, as he's now christened it. Um, and like from where his form was six weeks ago, he looks completely different player. Um, maybe there will be further discussions now of, or do Liverpool make him a midfielder? Is he the actual solution to their midfield woes? And they go and sign a, a right back in the summer. We'll find out in the, the weeks and months ahead. But looking at it in the front three as well, Jota's back scoring goals. Diaz is back, he's got a goal. Um, Gakpo is looking more and more comfortable with every passing week. He's really making himself that Firmino replacement. Salah's back amongst the goals, breaking records on a weekly basis. There is a lot of positivity there, and it's just a shame they don't have anything to play for other than Europa League. It's that outside chance of top four. But if this is all your basis for what you're going into for pre-season and next season, adding a few players in there, there's enough reason for Liverpool to believe that this season is just a blip, just a transition and they can come back stronger next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Theo called it there a new era, Doyle, and we'll move on to, to one of 
the departing players of that era in James Milner next. I think we should sort of pay tribute to, to his eight years at Liverpool, obviously. Won everything there is to win, been a huge part of, of the team. I think he will be a much bigger loss than a lot of people might think and, and might believe. But it does look like his, his time at Anfield is, is coming to a close. But he has been a, an excellent servant for Liverpool. He has. And if you ask the other players, they say exactly the same thing. The amount of times a new signing arrives and or an academy graduate gets into the first team and then the club website do an interview with them and he say, you know, he's been helping you. And, and every single one of them will say Milner. Every single one of them. And it's interesting because when Milner started at Liverpool, Brendan Rodgers was obviously the, the, the guy who, who kind of persuaded him to come. And he made him vice-captain to Jordan Henderson. And Jürgen Klopp took over, what was it, about four months later? And in that time, both of those players are still in those positions. They've still got those roles. So that does tell you everything you need to know about what Jürgen Klopp thinks of uh, James Milner. He said it at the press conference today. He said we wouldn't have done anything, any of the, any of the, any of the success over the last seven and a half years without James Milner. And I know that he's not of the, you know, not the cup of tea of certain supporters, certainly the ones who like the flashy new signings and the highlights reels and, and all of that kind of stuff. But if you like, um, you know, let's face it, this is a player who has got the record for the most amount of assists in a Champions League season. Like, he's got more, I mean, no one's got more than him. You're talking to anyone, you know, so, you know, he's hardly like he's not a good footballer. He's just had to change over time because, you know, he joined Liverpool when he was, what, 30? 29, 30? I think it's 29, wasn't he? Yeah. So he spent, you know, most of the, the latter, well, he spent all of the last years of his career at Liverpool. He's, and he's gone from being a winger to a central midfielder, which is why he joined Liverpool. And then he's ended up becoming a left back for a year. And he's then now he's played right back. He's played nearly all of the positions. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in goal by the end of the season. Just bring him on and just chuck him in there for the last game for a couple of minutes. Um, so, yeah, he's somebody he'll get, he'll get a big send off because it, it's pretty obvious that he's going. He hasn't signed a new contract and all, all that signs suggest he's got to go to Brighton, which is uh, weirdly where all of uh, Jurgen Klopp's favourite players go to, go to, you know, <laughs> just, that's where they go next. That's the, it's the natural progression, is it? Lallana's there. So, uh, right, well, Henderson's very, going in a couple of years then. Well, this is it. I think it could be. It could, uh, Trent Lend up there, won't he, eventually? Um, so, yeah, I think for Milner, I think he, he offers something that a lot of other players don't anymore. He's very much old school in the sense that, you know, he loves to get stuck in. You saw what happened with Neymar. That's gone about, what, four, nearly five years now. Messi as well. Said he was a donkey. And uh, and yet it was Milner in that semi-final second leg who started the game in midfield, ended up playing at left-back for the second half and Robson got injured. And it was him that was doing the old ushering the ball out and the final whistle that was trying to, you know, trying to win a free kick. And then in the final, doesn't start, comes on, puts in a corner, Marigi scores. So... You know, this is a player, if you go through everything that Liverpool have done, he's always there or thereabouts. His fingerprints are all over all the successes, which is why Jurgen Klopp has said that. And yeah, he's not started many games this season. He started at the start of the season, but he kind of, unfortunately for him, he became like a, a sign of everything that's gone wrong because, you know, James Milner started in a midfield for Liverpool at the age of, what he then, 36, you know, when Liverpool wanted to sign a new midfielder and, you know, they're going to have to sign like two or three now. In the summer, but I think if Klopp had his way, he'd, he'd say have Milner there next season. And I, I just one other thing to say about Milner is um, I've written a piece about him uh, going in the on the website and in the newspaper tomorrow morning. Is that there was one Liverpool senior player who turned up for the FA Cup game against Shrewsbury at home when the under 23s played? It was James Milner on the sidelines, and he went into the dressing room before the game, gave them a big talk, and you know they ended up winning. 
And this is somebody who made his debut in the Premier League at 16 in 2002, which I think some of the people we work with now were born then or something stupid like that. Well, near, near enough. They certainly hadn't started school, let's put it that way. Uh, so, you know, he's been around a long time. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And, you know, he's made more appearances than Kevin Keegan. He's going to end up making more appearances than Terry McDermott. These are two great names in Liverpool's history. And he's up there with them. And, you know, what more can you say about it? I think the last home game against Aston Villa, one of his... 52,000 teams he's played for. Um, that'll be, I think it'll be an emotional one because obviously there'll be farewells to a lot of other players, which is just, you know, Roberto Firmino. But I think there'll be a little special nod to Milner because it deserves to be. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. 2002 was the year I started school, I think. So you <laughs> might not be far off with the, with some of the other people that we work with. But uh, yeah, in terms of, of James Milner, Theo, I mean, it's, it's one of those where I've written down just replacement question mark. How, how do Liverpool replace not just the sort of versatility that he offers, but also the experience and, and the quality that he has off the pitch? It's it, it's almost irreplaceable. That's it. We talk about the longevity here. When Liverpool signed him when he was 29-30, let's remember he was essentially replacing Steven Gerrard in the squad, bringing that experience. Gerrard had gone just turned 35. I don't think any of us predicted that Milner would be here eight years later. Like when Liverpool signed him, he wasn't a journeyman, but it had like a few years here and there. You like you never saw him having this massive stint at Liverpool. And this was a chance where Liverpool were in transition, weren't they? It's before Klopp came in. And they just wanted to get back to that Champions League again. So for him to be departing, he's won the Premier League, he's won the Champions League, he's won the European Super Cup, the FIFA Club World Cup, FA Cup, League Cup. He's achieved far more than anyone would have anticipated and established himself as a club legend, like he's one of the few that deserves that label for what he's achieved with some of the names Doyle has mentioned there. And it's like, how do you replace a, a player like that? Well, arguably, we have these same questions when Gerard left and they, they found a James Milner. So it's like, maybe they need to bring that line along again. But that isn't the sort of player Liverpool need at this time. They don't necessarily need that experienced edits. The players who are in that middle role who can go straight into that starting eleven. Arguably, the, the replacement for him is already there because Jordan Henderson, you'd imagine, is going to be this player now that doesn't start every week, but he's the experienced player to throw on when you want to protect the lead or when you need that leadership. He takes more responsibility in the dressing room. And then you've got the leadership group. Well, there'll be more on Andy Robertson. There'll be more on Trent. I think Alisson makes up that as well as with Virgil van Dijk. We'll see if someone else gets added to this group. But you expect those players who've achieved all these things for Liverpool to step up and take the experience and then it's whoever comes in next, what, what can they do? Like there are so many names linked. We're going to get to one of them, I believe, in a bit. Like you see Mason Mount's been linked, established England International, uh, Ryan Gravenberch, he's still a very young player. There's no one really you can think, yeah, he comes in as a free transfer, just does that role. Like James Milner will be one of the greatest Bosman transfers ever and it will be very hard to topple that in modern football. I think as, as much as obviously he's played a part already in terms of, of the midfield, the other thing I was thinking about really was the, the right back position. There's a little bit of a, a sort of gap there, if you like. Obviously, Calvin Ramsey is there. Connor Bradley has had a, a really good season at, at Bolton. But James Milner has, has played that role pretty frequently for Liverpool. There's been periods where Trent's been out for a month and he's come in and, and done that job. I think probably, arguably, at least as much, maybe even more so in terms of, of missing him midfield. There might be a, a bit of a, a hole to, to fill in that place as well. Well, there's Joe Gomez, isn't there? So I think that's what Liverpool will do if they really need to. I think everyone forgets that Gomez and Trent were basically back there to play it right back before the uh, 
2018, wasn't it? Before the Champions yeah. League final, that, that second half of the season, and I think Gomez got injured. I think we've said, mentioned this before. Um, no, I just think Milner overall. I just think his his influence, just you know, not so much on the well. In fact, I, again, as I've written, what he does off the field counts for nothing unless he does it on the field, which he has done. Yeah, you don't accidentally play 328 games for Liverpool, especially a Liverpool team that got to one Europa League final, two League Cup finals, an FA Cup final, three Champions League finals, uh, Europa Super League, as as, as uh, Theo mentioned, the Club World Cup, won the league once and had two more title challenges. Well, he's always there, isn't he? He's always there. Even if it's sometimes it's like, oh, hang on, it's very close this game. Let's just bring Milner on for the last 20 minutes. But he, he tends to do the job, though, doesn't he? Now, who could... Uh, well, we mentioned Jordan Henderson, anyway. I think is a different type of player. He's not quite as versatile, certainly defensively. Who, who can Liverpool bring on now? Just like, oh, let's see out the game. Let's bring on... Oh, you know, that's the thing. That's going to be that gap. And it's quite funny that he's kind of filled that for about the past five, six... You know, almost the entire time that he's been there. So, I do think they'll miss him. But, you know, he's 37 now. He can't play on forever. Uh, certainly not for a Liverpool team that involves you running around an awful lot. That's why I'm a bit surprised he's going to Brighton, I'll be honest, if he does go there. I can only it's assume not. that he's, yeah, it's almost like the same again. I, in fact, in some ways, perhaps that's exactly why it is. He knows he's not going to be playing loads, but he'll probably play more than he would do at Liverpool. And he can kind of influence the matters there. And I'm pretty sure Lallana would have had a word or two and said, you know, he's quite a, somebody you want to get into this club. Plus, Brighton's by the sea. It's got it's got to be Deserby as well. I think I think he's probably sort of been impressed in terms of his management and maybe if if it's another coach to, to go and learn from and, and that sort of thing as well. But it will certainly be interesting to see how he gets on there and hopefully he can get another few minutes on the, the pitch for Liverpool before the end of this season, even if it is just to see how to win in each of the last four games. But let's move on to Alexis McAllister. We'll talk a little bit about him, Doidi. I'll come back to you on this one. It, it does seem to be that he is on Liverpool's list and fairly high up that list. We don't know exactly how much he's going to cost and, and that sort of thing. But I think it was his father about a month or six weeks ago, basically confirmed he was going to leave and go somewhere. So what's the, the sort of latest in terms of, of him and, and Liverpool interest? Well, Liverpool are interested and <clears throat> they're looking to try and bring him in. But the players, you've seen he, he won the World Cup. He's done really well at Brighton. Um, and he's somebody who a lot of clubs want to sign. So it could possibly come down to two things. One, who he wants to join. And B, how much Brighton want for him. Because, uh, you know, we know about Liverpool's finances. They can't compete with some of the other clubs. But by the same token, I'm pretty sure Chelsea can't sign every single player in the world. Uh, and if he, if he's, you know, Man City probably looking for midfielders. Will he get as many games as Man City? Don't know. Depends what he wants. I mean, Alti, he's only 23, isn't he? 23 or 24. Yeah, so he's still... Young, he fits into that kind of FSG profile of player, the recruitment team that they want. So, you know, having missed out on Bellingham or rather, you know, stepped away from it. And we saw a little bit this week, didn't we, from the Real Madrid mouthpiece marker, who less than 24 hours after Real Madrid basically lost the La Liga title and ahead of their games against Man City, they were, they were doing a story saying he's coming to Real Madrid. And even though there's no offer, Dortmund will get talked down from 140 million euros to about 110 and Man City and Liverpool offered way more money. And it's like, come on, we believe some of that, but come on, don't, don't over it. We know the way that these things work. So, you know, so Liverpool missed out on him. And the, there was always lots and lots of players on the on the list. And the thing about McAllister is that he's proven Premier League experience. And I think that's something I've mentioned this quite a few times, is that that's going to be 
important for Liverpool. In terms of how far down the line it is, as I said, you know, the season's not over. Player is under no obligation to make his mind up now. Although Liverpool will quite like it to be done pretty soon, and I suspect the player will by the end of the season. He'll know where he wants to go. And then it's over to how much Brighton want for him and what kind of deal can be thrashed out. And I know some people will say, well, the fact that, that Milner's going to uh, go into Brighton, could that make any difference? Well, well, Milner's a free agent, he can do what he wants. So Liverpool aren't necessarily involved in that their negotiation. So not quite happening on that. But again, it's uh, are Brighton going to become the new Southampton? Well, Liverpool and all the teams just start nicking all the players. We'll soon see. Again, it's, it's only next door as well. Well, not next door, but, but it's on the south coast. They're all the same, aren't they, Theo, down there? All you southerners. It's <laughs> nowhere near me down south as well. <laughs> <laughs> the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'll get your take on it as well, Theo. I mean, we had a brief discussion in the office earlier about the, the sort of price and, and where that might work itself out as, as being, I think you mentioned that Moises Caicedo, they turned down a, a bit of about 70 for yeah. him. If it's going to be in that sort of range, is, is that is that a reasonable fee? Would, would that be something that you'd be happy with Liverpool paying that sort of money for him? Um, it's not my money, so I'm not really bothered by how much they're spending, to be honest. I know if they go and sign him for 70 plus million, Fans are going to say, well, why can't that money go on Jude Bellingham? But I think the wages come into this as well. Like if Liverpool want to go and sign two or three midfielders, Bellingham was going to be on big, big money. We know that that's partly why you go Real Madrid for that big, big money. It's like you can't sign two, three players with that sort of fee and that sort of wage. That'll be where the finances aren't working out for Liverpool. Whereas even though he's a World Cup winner, McAllister does like it's more affordable in that sort of sense. You could see him coming along with another two or three. And be more fitting for the budget. Like he ticks a lot of Liverpool's boxes. As Doyley says, he, he's got that Premier League experience. He's been proven in the Premier League now for, what, three and a half years. Brighton's leading goal scorer this season with 11 goals. Not granted, a fair few of them have been penalties. Like we saw against United, and there might be a couple of free kicks in there as well, but still a goal scoring midfielder. He's versatile. Like He's playing in this deeper role for Brighton the majority of the time, but he can be a number 10. I think he's been a false nine for them. He can play on either wing as well. I think he played out wide for Argentina in one of the games in the World Cup. So there's all those things to consider. Like you look at Liverpool's system, he could very easily go in and be a number eight in the traditional 4-3-3. Maybe Jurgen Klopp sees a bit of Ginny Wijnaldum and him wants him as a number six in those games when you get a lot of possession. Or you just put them alongside Trent in this new uh, Trent role formation. You see, you still need the name for the formation, John. You never mind the role, but we still, you could see him in that sort of thing. You can see why it ticks Liverpool's boxes, but then he could be the, the wide number 10 in that as well. So when you've just got this player who, at the start of the season as well, he was ticking all the boxes in terms of passes completed, winning the ball back. He's all round midfielder whose best years are still ahead of him. Just because we've seen him in the Premier League for a few years, he's maybe not as glamorous. Like, I've said this before on if Naby Keita had been in the Liverpool, in the Premier League before Liverpool signed him, there isn't that hype about him when he comes in. If Gini Wijnaldum had never played in the Premier League, there's more hype about him. But he's a proven Premier League player, gets goals, can do a little bit of everything. That's what this Liverpool side needs. Yeah, that is what this Liverpool side needs, isn't it, Dodie? It needs sort of legs and, and fresh investments. It won't just be Alexis McAllister if it is to be Alexis McAllister in the summer. There'll be others as well. We know there's a long list of, of players, but sort of the ones that, that seem to be on Liverpool's radar most strongly, you think of, of him and Mason Mount, maybe Ryan Gravenberg. That that seems like the, the right kind of moves to be to be making if, if you are Liverpool. Well, the young, aren't they? <clears throat> the young 
two of them got Premier League experience, one of them's homegrown. So, you know, the Liverpool have to be mindful of all of those things. I think if they do sign someone like Ryan Gravenberchie, again, it goes back to what you said about, uh, what Theo said about Cater, is that there was like, the, the less you see of somebody, the more you're intrigued by them. And uh, we had this with, not just Cater, there's been a few players were on our website, we obviously know how many people are looking at it. And Liverpool have been linked with this player, I've never played for ages, ages, loads of interest. And the minute he plays, no one's interested anymore because they've seen him. You know, and then it's like, well, what can you do now? What's next? You know, what you've signed him. I think, uh, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, Liverpool are fussed about stuff like that. They just want the right players in. And, um, yeah, I think with Graham Bush, he'd be there. He can't, he can't, I would imagine he would be like the third of three. What is he, only 20? And again, this is another another player who, they really, why would they, you know, they wouldn't be no obligation to let, let him go anyway. They signed him last year. So this feeds into that whole point of there's so much going to be happening over the next couple of months. With loads and loads of teams because so many teams want so many players. And as I've said before, most of them would normally have moved after a World Cup. And the World Cup in the middle of a season meant that the Valley was a little bit of movement, such as Gapo. Most of the players stayed where they, were, where they were, and now you're going to see loads of them moving around, more so than probably you normally would in a summer. So I think certain players who've said, I'll wait till after a World Cup, they would have gone last summer, they're going to go this summer. Bellingham, there you go, there's an example of one of them. Um, so Long way to a long, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's quite clear that Liverpool are going to be signing two, possibly three midfielders. And well, how is that different to anything that we've been saying for the past six months? You know, we've been we've been saying that, and it's everyone's been saying it. And you know, Jurgen Klopp can increasingly hint at the fact they're going to be signings made. This summer, he said it, you know, he said it several times, yeah, we are going to make signings. And the fact that they're, yeah, the fact they're losing five or six players, at least four of them are midfielders. It doesn't take a genius to work out where they're going to be signing players for. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. It certainly won't be a summer like last summer where they had one in mind and couldn't get him and didn't go for anybody else. They've certainly not got that sort of luxury this time around. And, well, let's be honest, probably didn't last summer either. But we'll move on in terms of what happens next in the Premier League for Liverpool. We'll talk a little bit about Brentford. Doyle, I'll come back to you again on this one. What sort of game, before we talk about some other things around it, what sort of game are you expecting? A similar one maybe to, to midweek is in my head, a cagey tight one. What are you sort of expecting at the weekend? Um, yes or no. Uh, Brentford are a completely different team to Fulham. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to be, you know, as you just mentioned, tight. I think it'll be tight in a different way. I think Klopp touched on it in his press conference today. He said, look, the, the good team are great players. They're very athletic and they're very good at set pieces. And out in Manchester, Brent, well, Brentford were at Man City, didn't they? Early this year. Well, early this season, just before the World Cup. Um, so, I think, you know, they beat Liverpool easily back at the start of the year. At their ground, although obviously that was a very different Liverpool team, and Liverpool could easily have been ahead before they ended up falling behind by a couple of goals. Uh, so yeah, it'll be tight. I think Liverpool will just have to carry on playing the way that they have been playing because they've gained confidence in the fact that they now know that they can see out these tight games, and they're probably going to have to just do that for the, the games the remainder of the season because after that they're at Leicester, and that's going to be probably the toughest game of the whole lot. Then they got Villa, then they finish at Southampton, who. That's, well, to be fair, Stamps will probably be relegated by that point, but uh, Liverpool will want to make sure they've got something to play for on that last day, even if it's, as we mentioned before, a top-four spot that would need quite a lot of things to go their way. If they've still got a chance on the last day for that top-four, <laughs> they've got a really good chance. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
Yeah, very mobile and, and very good at set pieces. Sounds like a, a double nightmare for Liverpool. It doesn't sound <laughs> like the thing that you want to be coming up against. Yeah, I throw in counter-attacking, the pace there as well. Like These are all things that can cause Liverpool problems. Like We've seen them cause Liverpool problems, whether it's like the throws of Nottingham Forest or just the pace getting in behind. Like This new system does create space in the back. And if players get in behind Liverpool's defence, they create chances. Fulham don't necessarily have the electric pace, but we still saw that from them a number of times with Harry Wilson getting in behind Costa Simicas and Brentford got a lot of players that suit that and think of Kinati, he's not at the easiest time in recent weeks. He's going to be up against Ivan Tony, he's one of the most physical informed strikers in the Premier League this season. Liverpool will have to be at their best, bring their A game and maybe chance for them to settle some scores from earlier in the season from that uh, heavy defeat at Brentford. You've seen Brentford's strength both times Liverpool have gone there, haven't they? Like they've been these big scoring games with Brentford have hit them on the break, scored lots of goals that are an attractive side to watch. Didn't they thrash United as well right at the start of the season as well? That they're not scared of the bigger teams. Liverpool, as I said, Liverpool have to be at their best and try and stop them having the ball, which is easier said than done. But you stop them having the ball, you stop creating those spaces for them to attack into, and you just play your game. You got a chance, and that's what we've seen from Liverpool a bit more in the last few weeks. But sides are still causing them problems. Hopefully, that clean sheet against Fulham is that next step. Like the fact they've managed to get this one clean sheet, make that two, make that three, finish the season strongly in that way. Allison's still got a chance for the Golden Glove, I think. Um, he might only have to be able to share it with David De Gea or something like that. But it shows it's not just Liverpool that are conceding silly goals, but they know what they need to work on. You know Brentford's strengths. You know Brentford are a side that have managed to get the better of Liverpool a number of times. Just do your work in the week and maybe we'll have a, a happier finish come the final whistle this time. Yeah, I have to say, I'd be surprised if it was a clean sheet. I think Liverpool might have to, to score a couple of goals to win this one. But we'll see what happens. We'll come back to, to score predictions in a little bit. But just to, to touch on the other sort of point, we had it confirmed already this morning that Liverpool are going to play the, the national anthem before the game, which I'm sure will uh, cause plenty of, of debate. But uh, I suppose, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the background behind why that is a story? And, and secondly, sort of what Liverpool's position was on that? Well, we know why it's a story. That's been going on. That's, that's, that's quite a, the long history to that. We haven't got a podcast that's long enough to, to determine why that is. You know, everyone can just go on Google and have a look at that one. Um, but in terms of Liverpool's... I mean, Liverpool felt they were put in an impossible situation, weren't they? Because Premier League came out with... This wasn't an edict, but they said, we strongly advise that you do something, which would be play the national anthem before the game. And it's kind of just... There was a better way of dealing with this. No one's going to come out of this looking great, are they? Let's be honest. And Liverpool were in a bit of a no-win situation because if they just said, no, we're not going to play it, then it would have been, well, why are you doing that? This, that, and the other. What, that. But the argument then is that now the, 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 they could be you know, hanging the fans out to dry by not taking on the responsibility themselves. I mean, I'm very much of the opinion that what they could do is not boo the national anthem, just let it play, play out. And then... If, they've, if they're against it, and then when it finishes, sing the song that they sang against Fulham on, on Wednesday, which the cop was singing. So that kind of makes the point in a different way. But uh, yeah, I've got a feel it's 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 not going to end particularly well. And interesting, Klopp got asked the question, didn't he? he said about what he thought of it. He says, "Look, you know, I'm not, I'm not from this country." He says, "We look at things from afar." When we're back in Germany, and uh, but he said, "I'm well aware that there's some people who'll be happy with it, some people indifferent, and there's some people who won't like it." So, and I'm pretty sure that's what it's like across the country. It's not just Liverpool are going to be playing. So every Premier League, uh, hope any team that's playing at home over the weekend is going to be playing it. National anthem. 
some will be more accepting of it than others, depending on where they are in the country and what the history is with the establishment, shall we say. So I think that uh, there is scope for... Uh, okay, let's put it this way. There are certain parts of the media that will already have their pieces written, which will be you know sharpening their knives against Liverpool supporters and Liverpool as a region and as a city. So I'm sure that uh, my advice is just as before, there's a way of making your point. If they don't use that as making the point, then I almost think it becomes a little more forceful in a way. But you know, we're, we're, as as Liverpool themselves have said, it's up to the individuals whether they want to celebrate the coronation or, or how they react to the playing the national anthem. And, and you know, we're not in a you know we're not in a nanny state. We're not going to tell people what to do in this regard. So we'll wait and see what happens. Although I suspect we know what's going to happen. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't for the club. Like whatever happens now, Liverpool will get backlash. <laughs> The fans will get backlash. Like they boo the fans who are royalists. They're, obviously, that, that's the story there. But whatever protest they do, whether they sing the song that Doyley's just mentioned, if they just sit down, if they turn their backs, or even if they do just respect it, there'll be some narrative there. Like fans can come and go, oh, you've rolled over here and have a go at them that way. It's always just something that people like to have a go about Liverpool. It's one of those that's gone on for years, as Doyley said. There isn't going to be any way to smooth it over. It needed the Premier League or someone from the Royal Family, one of their spokesmen, to come out and make that message to take it off Liverpool. But they've been put in this situation. It is a pretty impossible situation. Even if the club had supported the fans and said, no, we're not going to play it, there, there's something else to have a go at them over. There's just going to be something they're going to take this weekend. You've just got to hope that there's no backlash from the other side. Like if there's going to be, I don't know, more tragedy chanting as a result of this. But then that's again, well, you've taken the responsibility for your actions, at least like when you're singing the national anthem or you're booing the national anthem, that's freedom of speech. That's not just mocking the dead or something like this. But yeah, it's a very messy situation that could have been avoided, shall we say, to an extent. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a bit of a situation where Liverpool have, have been backed into a corner, I think. But uh, let's move on to, to matters on the pitch. Let's go through the teams that we would select to play in this one, Doidi. I'll come to you first. I think probably we know the goalkeeper. We probably know most of, of the back four, if not all of them. But do you want to talk us through who you'd like to see in the team? Yeah, the back four's the same. No, sorry, no, it's not. The back four's got Robertson back in because he didn't play, did he, against Fulham? So Robertson back in. The rest of it's the same. Yep, same for me. Same for you, Theo. Yeah, same. All right, let's move on to the uh, the midfield then. I think the midfield and, and the attack might have a, a few more question marks over. <laughs> um, Fabinho continues as the, the six. Jones continues on the left. I think he's managed to uh, prove his fitness, shall we say. Like, I know he's been managing this injury for pretty much all season long, but he seems to be coping really well at the moment, playing really well. Um, we know Jordan Henderson's a doubt, so you'd imagine he drops to the bench if he's available to be in the squad. And then it's, should you put Elliot in? Would you give James Milner a, a final, maybe not a final Anfield start, but a rare start? I think I'd lean towards Elliot and a look towards the future. But yeah, Milner's an always an option as well. Yeah, I think I'd lean towards Elliot, but then I wonder against a team as, as physical as, as Brentford, whether that's the best idea. I'm, I'm not sure. It's one of those where if, if Henderson doesn't make it, there's, there's maybe not a great deal of choice. Well, Elliot had a bit of a nightmare, didn't he, in the first half against Brentford last time, got subbed, gave the ball away in the build-up to one of the goals. So I think he'll have a little point to prove. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> who else can play? You know, Vasquez is out, Cates is out, Oxlade-Chamberlain isn't anywhere, Arthur Mello, God, are we ever going to see him play for Liverpool? Don't think so. Henderson, 
I doubt Milner. I think he will be reserved for the Henderson role, which could have been in this game in the sense that he might come on after an hour for uh, for Elliot, depending on how things are going. But otherwise, yeah, I think uh, that bit of the team more or less picked itself. As I believe that the front line is going to pick itself as well. It's funny, isn't it? Because Klopp got asked a question in the press conference about, have you got, I've got a selection dilemma? And then he went through all the injuries and you're thinking, he hasn't got any at all. This is, this is quite clearly what the team's going to be. You say that the front line picks itself. I think that there is one sort of swap that I might make, but which which front three are you going to go with? Oh, Salah on the right, Gakpo down the middle and Jota on the left. Diaz, Even. sorry, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, I forgot Diaz, didn't I? Suddenly, suddenly it's not quite as picking itself. Um, <laughs> I do wonder whether... Actually, having said that, I do think he will play Jota on the left. I think Diaz has done really well. I think Klopp mentioned that after half an hour, you could see he was getting difficult for him in the last two two games. And I think if you're bringing him on for the last half an hour, I think he he, he can make a massive impact. So, yeah, they will play Jota. Yeah, the, the sort of quandary that I had was, I think he said Jota was, was still a doubt, but he said that for a couple of games and then mm. he's played and, and been involved anyway. And Luis Diaz only just come back. It would be a third start in the space of, of a week, wouldn't it, I think? I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah. Um, so, possibly, I might go with Darwin Nunez, but what do you reckon? Yeah, that, that's the dilemma, isn't it? Like, Jota, was it his back injury at first and then bruised to the ribs? It seems whenever he comes on, when they're managing him carefully, he picks up another knock. Um, I suppose we'll see maybe in training pitches. Were training pitches yesterday, Doyle, or will we get some I today? Off. I was off as well. We don't know if he's been training or not, if we've got to tre- uh, tread more carefully with him. I, I think it would be a-, a bold call, shall we say, if you make Diaz start for his third one in the space of a week when you are managing him carefully. Uh, Nunes, though, he-, he doesn't offer the same, I don't know, defensiveness, the work rate, as the other two, he's not as in sync in this Liverpool system. So I think I'd lean towards Jota if they can get him fit enough to go on the pitch. And then after now or 55 minutes, you know, you've got Diaz there, you've got Nunes there, but it just depends who's available. And well, Diaz, he could actually have it in the legs if they are managing really well, considering he's only done an hour here, an hour there. Um, they'll make their own decision looking at what's on the, the training pitch. But Jota is the one you'd go to at the moment on, on paper. Yeah, you've got what a little thing about Jota is that Liverpool don't play again until next Monday. So if he does get pick up any knocks, he's got quite a long time to, to get over them. So I think they might just stick with him. Provided he can walk, like. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Assuming that that is the case, we will see. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, in terms of, of a scoreline, Doriel, I'll come to you first on this one as well. What What's your prediction? I'll just go with the rest of them. 3 2 to Liverpool. 3 2. Interesting. A big one. Oh, I was actually going to go 3 2 as well. Wow, three two. I'll go three one. I'll mix it up a little bit, but I do think uh, I do think Brentford will score. But uh, yeah, as long as Liverpool win, it's at that point as uh, of the season, I should say, as we said at the start, that as long as Liverpool win, all will be okay. But from myself, Maz Addison, from Theo Squires, and from Ian Doyle, we shall leave it there. Thanks for watching and for listening. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.